Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that we would never cease to be amazed at your grace. That you were broken and that you were raised to life so that you could raise broken people like us to life. We pray, Father, that we would be in Christ and we would know what that means. To share in the fellowship of your suffering in the crucifixion and to be raised. Father, we ascribe glory to you today and we worship you in the beauty of your holiness on this 29th day of the first month of a new year. In the 29th Psalm, we read that we should ascribe to You the glory due Your name and worship You in the beauty of Your holiness. Be honored, Lord, in these moments. We consecrate ourselves to You so that we would be always only all for You. And thank You that You are for us and that you are with us in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Trying to find our purpose together as a congregation, searching for celebrating our corporate calling in Christ. Do you ever wonder what kind of measure does God use when he chooses to use people? What exactly is God looking for? Remember when you were in school, maybe you're still in school, and you asked the teacher, so what do I really need to do to get an A? Just tell me what the standard is, and that's what I'll do. I'll do whatever it takes to achieve at that level. I was thinking about um, Jeff Bagwell. I've been a Bagwell fan ever since I moved to Houston. Took our son to a, a baseball game on Memorial Day in 1998. Some guy at the front handed us tickets, free tickets, great tickets, and, and I'd never watched Bagwell, but you know, to see him get into the Hall of Fame, but it was the last time, at least this time around, and I was thinking, last year when he almost made, I was like, what are they looking for? Look at his statistics, surely a guy like him should be in the Hall of Fame. And last weekend, I told you, we went with our daughter and we showed our uh, Hereford Heifer at the Fort Worth Stock Show. And this guy comes out with this sort of handlebar mustache and a cowboy hat on. And he's scrutinizing the cows. And I'm wondering as I'm sitting in the stands, what's he looking for? Clearly, Maley is the best cow. I mean, we don't have to have this competition. It's clear to me. But I didn't know what he was looking for. So when God looks at us, what does he want from us? What does He see in us that would make us useful to Him? How does God find the credentials in us that makes Him call us? Or what is that about? And the Apostle Paul teaches us about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Consider your calling. And I wonder if you have found your calling. Open your Bibles with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read to you this morning. This verse is 26 to 31. It's really part of a larger section where Paul is, is talking about how God, uh, in his sovereign purpose, chooses 
to work. And it's really centered in that song we just sang that, that God chose through the crucifixion of His Son on the cross to save the world. And then we find His Word to us in verses 26 to 31. Let's stand together. Let's hear the Word of the Lord together today. Where Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him. It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Going back to ancient times, right up to the present, we can get caught up in in wealth, in power, in status, in wisdom. Remember in the ancient Greek world, they really prided themselves in their wisdom. And if they weren't careful, they would think, well, it's obvious that God would choose to save people like us. The Gentiles would say, it's obvious that God would choose people like us because we're just so smart. And God needed smart people, and so He chose us. And, and, and others would say, well, we're really athletic. I mean, in the Isthmian Games in Corinth, they had this sort of first century Olympics, if you will, and they had this competition. And, and somebody might say, well, somebody like me, obviously God has gifted me, so that must mean that God really loves me, and that's why He's working in my life. And Paul just wants to show us that at the foot of the cross, there's level ground. So in a culture, can you imagine a culture that's obsessed with, with intelligence and status and power and wealth? That's the first century world. And if we look around... That's the 21st century world where people are always trying to make an impression. And maybe it comes from our lack of self-worth that we're always trying to demonstrate our worth and impress other people. And we can get caught up in that game, but what he shows us is that the same issue in the 1st century world and in the 21st century world, God addresses with the cross. And what God shows us in the cross is that all of the power to save us comes from Him. And that He elects us, He chooses us by His sovereign grace. So there are two ditches we can fall into on this. On the one hand, there is this pride that says, of course God would use somebody like me. And on the other hand, this doubt that says, I just doubt God could ever use somebody like me. And the cross answers both of those because it shows that God chooses to use us not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And by His sovereign grace, He enables us to trust Him. So only when we see that God chooses us simply because He loves us and wants us to have relationship with Him will we live on the one hand with the humility that makes us useful to God, 
And on the other hand, the hope that says, God wants to use me. So whether you're struggling with the pride side or the doubt side, there's good news in God's Word today. Our calling in Christ is a a permanent reminder to us that we can live our lives with humility, knowing that God chose us because He loves us. This is important for people in the first century world in that church at Corinth. They were obviously dealing with some issues of pride. There's this sort of competition between the people and they're trying to say, well, who's our best leader? And some like Paul and, and some like Apollos and some say, I, I'm, I'm for Christ. There's always somebody like that in the crowd, right? Who just uh, a pox on both their houses. I'm just focused on Jesus. And, and Paul says, so here's the thing. It's God's work that transforms our lives. And, and this should create in us a, a deep sense of humility. So I saw a list this week in the Wall Street Journal 24-7. They have a list of the least influential, the, least, the 50 least powerful people in the world. You know who's on the list? I looked at the list. I thought I might be on it. I can't even make that list. I'm not even on the least powerful list in the world. But they talked about people who used to be powerful and because of choices they made were humbled. So there's this principle in our world, and here it is. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. Can I tell you the corollary so that you don't have to experience it personally? Exalt yourself in the eyes of the Lord, and He will humble you. It's better, Jesus said, not to take the lead seat at the table. Just uh, sit a little bit further back. If they move you up, they move you up. But don't always spend your life in this endless quest for status and influence and power, trying to make impressions on other people. Because at the end of the day, the love you really need comes to you by God's unmerited favor. Just because He loves because He is a gracious God. He chooses to save us in Christ and gives us everything we need so that we, verse 29, would never boast before Him. I saw a a quote from one of the lead actors in Hollywood this week that just sort of shows you um, what they face in their world. Leonardo DiCaprio, think about... uh, all the movies he has starred in. This was his particular take on it. He said, as soon as enough people give you enough compliments and you're wielding more power than you've ever had in your life, it's not that you become arrogant, he says, or become rude to people, but you get a false sense of your own importance and what you've accomplished, and you actually think you've altered the course of history. A man named Lord Acton years ago said, so um, power tends to corrupt And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So a man named Jonah Lehrer, again in the Wall Street Journal, did a study. And what he he learned was that people are kinder when they're on their way up the ladder. But that a lot of times when people get to the top of the ladder, they sort of feel like they're above the law. They even surveyed a group of the most powerful people in our country and said, do you have to obey the speed limit? And they said, we don't because we're important and we have important things that we need to do. But then they asked them, do you think other people should obey the speed limit? And they said, absolutely. In other words, we're different than other people, so we don't have to obey the law. And you know where I saw this work of God choosing to work in the person 
who is humble so clearly this week. I remembered in, in the, the book of Judges, chapter 6 and 7, the story of Gideon. Do you remember that story? And the Judges is a time when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And because of that, Israel's experiencing a great deal of judgment from God. And so they cry out to God, and God sends them a prophet and says, so you're actually, the, the meal you're eating is a banquet of consequences for the choices that you have made. But then God is gracious to them, and He sends His angel to call Gideon to deliver His people. But it's interesting, if you remember the conversation, the, the angel shows up, just imagine this happened to you tomorrow sometime, and looks at Gideon and says, So, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon looks up and says, What are you talking about? And the angel says, I'm going to use you to set my people free from their captivity And Gideon says, you know, I've heard about how you used to do things like that. God, actually, I thought you had gone out of business. Because I know you used to like really show up and help the Israelites out, but we haven't seen that in so long. And I don't even know if it's possible anymore. And he says, well, I'm going to use you. And Gideon says, yeah, good luck with that. Because I'm not even from a full tribe. I'm from the half tribe of Manasseh. And... My clan, just think about the hierarchy of their civilization, my clan is the lowest clan. And I'm the youngest person in the lowest clan. But you watch, when you read the Old Testament together with us this year, how often God chooses the unlikely person. The person nobody would think that God could ever use them. And God picks out that person. And we may look at that and say, why does God do that? Why does He choose Moses when He's minding His own business on the mountain? Because He's already failed. And God says, yeah, I have business that's more important than your business. So it's time for you to get back in business. And Moses says, yeah, I can't talk. And it seems like talking to people would involve me being able to talk, and I can't do that. Or Esther saying, I have no access to the king. I, can't, I could get killed for this. I can't possibly go in and advocate for my people. Watch how God uses David to overcome Goliath when there's a whole army of Israelite soldiers, including David's big brothers, who are much more impressive in battle. And yet God will choose the person... Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the person who's nothing to overcome the impossible odds so that we will remember when something good happens in our lives. While it might have been impossible for us, nothing is impossible for God. Just think about God. I mean, he can use anybody he wants to, but he chooses to use unlikely people. So Gideon gets an army together, and he gets 32,000 people, which sounds like a pretty big army to me. And God says, I can't give you the victory with this army. And if you're Gideon, you might be thinking, oh, I better go get more people. And God says, no, actually, you need less. Because if you win the battle with 32,000, you're going to think you did it. So let's get it down to 10,000. Wait, that's still too many. God says, let's get it down to 300. It's pretty amazing. You read the story this week in Judges chapter 7 of how he reduced it to 300. The ones who lapped water like out of their hands like, like a dog laps water, those are the ones he chose. I don't know why. I don't think we should draw any deep theological truth from that or from the fleece experience, by the way, at the end of chapter 6 either. What I think we can say for sure is God was trying to get Israel down to a place of absolute dependence. Have you noticed in your life? Because I've noticed in mine, God will often put me in places where my only chance is Him so that when good things happen... I will just have to say, yeah, that was God. See, it's a God thing when you can't explain it any other way except to say God had 
to do that because left to my own devices, left to my own gifts and abilities, I never would have been able to do that. So that must have been God. But this is the way God works. He chooses to use people in unlikely ways. And so this should create in us a deep sense of humility that says, yeah, that wasn't me. I didn't accomplish that. That was God. And Frederica Matthews Green says, every day my ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility has to tear down. Every day, humble yourselves. James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. This is good news that we can absolutely depend on God and God's calling in our lives. What kind of credentials is God looking for? God's calling in our lives should produce in us a deep sense of humility. It should also produce in us an amazing sense of hope. So for the person who's sitting here this morning saying, Pastor, if you knew me, kind of like Gideon, you're saying, there's no way. I, I mean, even if, not even God could help me get this done because there's no way I can possibly. And you've got all this self-doubt and you're wondering whether God could ever use somebody like you. And this is what he says. God wants us to trust in Him so that He can provide for us everything we need so there is by the way a greater purpose for your life and I'm trying in in these weeks to help us discover what that is why has God put you where you are today and I remembered that John Irving wrote a book have you ever read the book uh, a prayer for Owen Meany and in that book um, he tells the story of a diminutive little boy who um, has some special needs and his uh, his larynx was uh, was damaged in birth, he can't speak very well, so he has to shout all the time. And, and in the midst of this, he comes to the conclusion that God has a very special plan for his life. Watch this clip. I think we have a, a clip of, of this story. He's talking to his pastor, and there's no sound. Which... It's kind of a sad moment, um, kind of a bad pastor. Uh, <laughs> come to me, I won't treat you that way, I promise. <laughs> Simon Birch, this little boy who, it's just a retelling of the story of Owen Meany, but the, the Hollywood title is Simon Birch, and Simon goes to his pastor and says, I think I'm God's instrument, and his pastor sort of pats him on the head and says, yeah, yeah, okay, good, good luck with that. But if you remember the rest of the story, his whole life he thinks, I, I, God has made me the way I am, very small, 
um, with a very shrill, loud voice. He's made me this way for a reason, but I just don't know what it is. And the, the moment becomes clear. If you remember the movie, I'm going to ruin the movie for you, but it's a very old movie, so it's not my fault if you haven't seen it yet. And, and they're on this bus, and these children are on the bus, and the bus veers off the road and goes into the river, and the children at the front of the bus get out, but the children at the back of the bus have no way out. And Simon is sort of a chaperone on the trip, and he's with them. And he has the strength to open a window and he ushers the children out and then he gets out, but he, uh, because of his condition and the cold water, he's very sick afterward. He contracts pneumonia. He's in the hospital and his best friend Joe comes to see him and Simon is triumphant. He says, I knew God had a purpose for my life to save the lives of those children. And he said, the window was just my size. And Joe says, extra small. And, and he says, yes. And that's how, and my voice was just loud enough that the children heard me, so they did what I told them to do. And he fulfills his purpose, and then he dies. And the end of the movie, I know it's sad, but at the end of the movie, his friend Joe is standing at the tombstone, looking at Simon Birch's tombstone, and says, I can't get his voice out of my head because of his faith in God. Now I have faith in God. In fact, all the faith I have comes because of my friend who trusted God. And the good news for people like us, when we look at the story of the gospel is, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, God wants to use us. He wants to save us. He wants to call us to serve Him. I spent part of this week, actually every night this week, Monday through Friday, I drove down to Galveston to pre preach to a group of pastors. And it was kind of an exhausting week, to tell you the truth. But it was also an exhilarating week because I made some amazing new friends. And they are shepherds after God's own heart. And they are caring for the souls of the people on the island. And I thank God for them. It started with a, a friend of mine who was in my class uh, that I taught over at HBU. And he keeps giving me opportunities to preach to amazing people but one of the friends I've made down there is a man who had a stroke when he was 25 years old and his his own testimony he told this week was that he was living outside God's will and he ended up in prison after that and while he was in prison God called him to preach now just to be clear he's one of the pastors in Galveston but I had never heard his story this week and I'm pretty sure when he was in what he would call the mess of his life he never would have imagined that God would use him in that way when he had his stroke when he has a, a permanent disability from that when he was in prison but that's precisely where God chose him and here's what I want you to know about my friend Mike Dwyer his praise is all the more powerful because when he tells his story, what he's saying is, like John Wesley, I was a brand plucked from the fire. Nobody would have thought God would use somebody like me, but God chose to use me so that I could give him glory. As we were going by the church, that, and there's a lot of churches side by side down there, um, the place where we parked, it, it was a big gate, and it said, enter his gates with thanksgiving. We walk into the sanctuary, it says, enter his courts with praise, big signs there as a reminder. And I believe our worship of God is all the more rich when we realize it was His sovereign grace on the cross that gave us the wisdom we needed. Verse 30, giving us um, His righteousness. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He became our holiness because without holiness it's impossible to see God. He became our redemption. He delivered us not just Simon Birch on a bus, 
but Jesus Christ on a cross. And my prayer is that we would never cease to be amazed by that grace. That God will, will, will stop at nothing to use people like us. So I was thinking back about the people that God has used powerfully in my life. I remember the man who ordained me to ministry up in Montana, and he had an excruciating pain in his back, and it was nerve damage, and it would never go away. And sometimes while he was preaching, he would push a button that would give an electrical shock to his back to reduce the pain so that he could continue to preach. And God used him in that church powerfully, not in spite of his weakness, but through his weakness. Jeremiah said, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. Let not the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast in this, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. And Paul quotes Jeremiah chapter 9 to say, if we're going to boast, boast in what God has done. Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 14, God forbid, some translations say, God forbid, the new NIV, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which I've been crucified to the world. And the world has been crucified to me. You see the way that Paul personalizes what God has done for him in Christ so that he knows it's, it's God. It's God who's done this. The pastor who, um, for whom we named our internship program, Joshua's preaching tonight, he's the seventh intern uh, resident in that program. But my pastor, my freshman year in college, he got to Waco because uh, of a heart condition where his, his cardiologist in California, in Riverside, California, said, if you keep preaching, you're going to die. You've had two heart attacks. You're in your early 40s. You've got to quit preaching. So he went to go back to get his Ph.D. so that he could teach, thinking, professors, you might quibble with this, that it would be less stressful to teach than to preach. But somebody in Waco found out he could preach, and they called him to be their interim pastor. And then they called him to be their pastor, and then I went to college, and I met him, and he, he allowed me to do an internship with him, and he was the first person I ever heard quote this anonymous word. Do you, do you remember this? When God wants to drill someone and thrill someone and skill someone, when God wants to mold someone to play the noblest part, when He yearns with all His heart to create so great and bold a someone that all the world's amazed, watch His methods, watch His ways. How God hammers and hurts and with mighty blows converts into trial shapes of clay that only God understands while His tortured heart is crying and He lifts beseeching hands. How God bends but never breaks when His good He undertakes. How God uses whom He chooses and with every act induces them to try His glory out. God knows what He's about. And what God is about is redeeming the world by His sovereign grace so that nobody can say after we've been saved, I did this. And so, so that nobody can say, not even a person like me can be saved or used by God in fact, it's His grace that eliminates both our pride and our doubt. He gives us humility, but He also gives us hope. 
God is working. God has a purpose for our lives. That purpose is to use us, as Simon Burt said, as His instruments. How will God use you and me this week, this month, this year, as instruments of His sovereign grace? God knows. And today we surrender and say, Your will, Lord, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your amazing grace. Lord, if we have become hardened and we cease to be amazed, would You transform our hearts? Lord, all the accomplishments, all the achievements that we would uh, take credit for today, Lord, we, we lay all those down at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, we, nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to Your cross we cling. Naked come to You for dress. Sinners come to you for grace. Foul we to the fountain fly. Wash us, Savior, or we die. Give us humility, Lord. Give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen.